to moderate an extreme truth is to tell a lie. And really, that's all they have to do. That's all they have to accomplish in manipulating the conversation, in censorship. That's it. To just say that, oh, no, that's, that's not extreme. That's, that's nothing to worry about. The, the truth doesn't even need to be hidden. In fact, that generally makes it worse if you hide the truth. And then the people find out that you've been hiding the truth. Well, that's how revelations happen from revolutions. And when there's a revolution, well, then you lose your power. Now, when the truth is extreme, what do, what do I mean? Look at the, what are we talking about here? For those of you who know who I am, what this is about, what, why I'm a libertarian, why this is the most important thing that we can do to fight the injustice of the world today. What is the extreme that I'm talking about? Well, there are a number. There, there are a number of extreme truths that we seem to be in denial about. But there really is one big one. That the power structure, the authority, the super class under which we live today is nothing to be concerned about. I'm sorry, that's the lie. <laughs> the truth is that we live with this absurdity that given the potential of humanity, we put up with our, our potential being stolen from us. The wealth uh, of generations, of those who have gone before us, of our ancestors, of even your parents and your grandparents, of all the wealth of humanity being concentrated in the hands of a few. Now, as a libertarian, as an ethicist, if, if someone had earned it, yeah, I, I, I might not have a problem with it, but that's, that's not even close to the case today now, is it? The existing concentrations of wealth and power in the world today, the big ones, the, the, the really big ones. Yeah, and I, I use the term superclass. I hope that doesn't trigger anybody. Not that I, I'm afraid you, you are going to think that you are anything less than super. But when I, when I say the superclass, you know, just the several hundred most powerful people in the world, maybe the several most thousand powerful people in the world, the, the, the actual elites. The real string pullers, and, and most of them are in the open. They're probably, uh, uh, there's probably a good chunk of them that you've never heard of that are, are deliberately kept in the shadows, so to speak. But that's, uh, that's, uh, that, this is an extreme truth that is simply presented to us, it, it, maintained as part of the paradigm as moderate. That's oh, not a big deal. It's always going to lose me. Powerful people. 
anybody who doesn't point this out on a regular basis is either in on it, a lackey of the system, or lying to themselves. Because in many ways, this the, the it, it, and it's not this truth being too hard to face. We know that this is the truth. But to deny the extremity of it, that this is this is obscure, extreme. This is extremely absurd, extremely destructive, extremely inhumane. Can we face this? I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that part of the, the beautiful course of human progress that we're experiencing overall is people just accepting that this is extreme. That people are, you know, yeah, well, you know, in many ways, this wasn't really, you know, maybe in and of itself, this wasn't visible to prior generations. You know, even to most subjects of kings and emperors, the all-consuming nature of a hunter-gatherer lifestyle who barely manages to pay the tribute to the authorities to get them to, to leave you alone, yeah, you know, maybe they maybe they weren't as as painfully aware. Who knows? Maybe they were more aware. Maybe, maybe when it was a sword pointed at you, maybe it was more obvious. Maybe the power structure we tolerated was less extreme. Certainly, proportionately, the few in number of people who control the vast majority of wealth compared to the rest of the population has reached a technology-driven extreme. And that technology is not just the high-tech stuff. I mean, the technology of fiat currency, the technology of central banks, the technology to distort this truth, to moderate these extreme truths, to lie. And there are many subsidiary lies around this. I should say that that, that was that might be what I would call them. Subsidiary lies, distracting lies, or just other extremes of this reality around this power structure that we moderate in order to, now it's not that we moderate, they are moderated by propaganda, by manipulation, by silencing and discrediting of those of us who point out, oh, this is extreme. This is extremely fucked up, and we need to do something about it. This is why Adam versus the man is extremely censored. Now, I'm going to turn to Twitter for a second. Not not the company, obviously, no, but my Twitter and my good friend, Aquarian Anarchy, our, our booker, Marcus Pulis. And, and Marcus today shared a quote, and, and I retweeted this, and uh, if you'd follow me, one place where... The censorship seems to be 
under control. Um, not so extreme. I guess another subsidiary lie we, we have to address is that the domination of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter on our conversation, that's extreme. Now, in and of itself, if, if those companies were honest, if they transitioned into sort of public trusts, if they were replaced by decentralized blockchain-based systems, perhaps, uh, you know, then, then, then maybe the extremeness wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Now, I, maybe as another aside here, just to, to contextualize this, this idea of extreme truths, this is very important. I'm not saying that all extreme truths are bad. I'd like to think on Adam versus the man we spend a, a, a relevant, a, appropriate amount of time talking about the extreme beauty of life, the extreme wonder of the universe. We show pictures of kittens on the Gardenia Instagram page. You know, we give people tours of, of the domes here at, at the end of interviews, you know, when, when I do them. We show people the extreme opportunity and, and beauty of what it means to be human. But it is, I suppose, in the contrast to all of those extremely beautiful things that we must spend an inordinate amount of time on the extreme evil truths of the world, the extreme bads, maybe not evil, but the extreme truths that are holding back humanity. And then the denial of this extreme nature of the dominant power structure. That is extremely destructive to humanity in so many ways. So back to the social media networks. Twitter, I, I suppose the, the censorship on Twitter is is genuinely moderate, you know, and and there's there's this uh, there's this old saying, right? I get you know what I should I should uh, pull this up. The, the the idea that the truth lies in the middle. Uh, this is a, a classic quote. I, I I really should do the author justice on this. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, well, let's see, I guess this is, no, Paul J. Alessi, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, and this, this is, you know, there are two sides to every story, and the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. I believe this is true. The key word in there is usually, and if you... Pretend that this applies all the time. This quote can be used by criminals, right? If I steal something from you, and someone and, and the, the, my victim goes, "Well, he stole this," and I say, "Well, you know, there are two sides to every story, and the truth is usually somewhere in the middle." No, it's not. I'm a fucking thief, right? Now. While this quote usually holds true, it is in these times when it does not hold true 
that it is so extremely important we acknowledge the extremities in the bad truths. So back to social media. The, uh, uh, to finish this point, the amount of censorship on these two platforms, YouTube and Facebook, that so dominate the global human conversation today is extreme. And it is extremely dangerous and holding us back in new ways. And I've been promoting this documentary, The, the Social Dilemma, at least I, I've mentioned it a few times on the air. And I, I, there was a, a story the other day, Facebook rebuts the social dilemma. And I think even Facebook misses the good of Facebook. You know, they say, well, we're bringing people together. It's so much more than that. The, the development of the technology of Facebook and, and, you know, conspiracy theories aside about why it displaced MySpace. Yeah, you want to jump down a fun little rabbit hole? Try that one on. But, you know, what, what was the CIA behind Mark Zuckerberg? I, uh, I don't know if you want to ask those questions. But even YouTube, even after being bought by Google, bought then, then, then under Alphabet, Right, the existence of this technology, even if they censored every important political message. And by the way, the social dilemma, uh, one of the most jarring stats that I, I like to cite from this is the increase in suicide among young women, being, young women in America being directly tied to the availability of social media and, and Facebook, on, in particular, on mobile devices. Whereas teen suicide uh, has always been an issue. The issue of suicide uh, among girls aged 10 to 14 was not an issue un, until that point. But this misses the live state. You know, and, and this points out, the social dilemma points out all the ways that we are doing social media wrong under government intellectual property rackets, under corporatism. Uh, under a commercially uh, driven society, a very materialistic society, it is not unlibertarian to point out the disparities of wealth and power in the world. It is not unlibertarian to acknowledge the commercialization of society. It is not unlibertarian to point out consumerism. In fact, it is anti-libertarian to deny these things. Because libertarianism is about seeking justice. These are things that might not be violations of libertarian ethics of themselves, but are certainly unlibertarian in their aim, holding us back from a libertarian society. These are extreme truths that need not only to be pointed out, but to be acknowledged as extreme. So I'm sorry to have Jump back and forth here to my Twitter feed. Uh, the retweet from Marcus Aquarian Anarchy is a quote from none other than the Dalai Lama himself. Most of us have been conditioned. Since armies are legal, we feel that war is acceptable. In general, nobody feels that war is criminal or that accepting it is criminal attitude. In fact, we have been brainwashed. War 
is monstrous. Its very nature is one of tragedy and suffering. And that is the result from denying certain extreme truths. Excuse me. Not moderating them. Excuse me, not, not denying them, but moderating them. Just moderating this extreme truth is to tell a truly horrific lie. So call me proud to be an extremist, if you must. For I am. I am an extremist. And today is Tuesday, October 13, 2020. CJ, thank you not only so much for getting those links prepared, but doing so in such good time. We had, we had a lot of fun doing that segment together just now. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I think, you know, again, giving us giving us courage in what we believe. I, and this is one of the great challenges of the Libertarian Party. We are pointing out extreme truths. And the second that we play this, this political game like normal politicians, as if the truth is moderate, we, we lose all of our power. We lose, I don't want to say all, but we lose most of it. We lose a huge chunk of our potential to really connect with people, to fulfill the potential of the Libertarian Party and, and the Libertarian message. All right, let's get comment Jim up on stage here. Ladies and gentlemen, comment Jim Freedom. But first, I suppose. What's? Oh, good morning. Cheers. Oh, you were about to say something, but first, I suppose, what were you going to say? Shall we do our? Should we? I should have done the. Uh, I should have done the the promotions, but I don't know. I just I'm not formulaic enough with our timing yet. I I, I always if, if I if I'm going to do a twenty fucking minute opening rant. And I, I hope that was a useful one. I mean, I mean when that came to me, like, I, I, and I want feedback on this during the show today. If, if you want to talk to us, you know, Jim is watching the comments every day. And this is, it's, it's, it's a great part of the show. But, you know, this, this came to me as, as an epiphany this morning that clarified my own worldview. You know, my own presence, this is something I've been trying, the truth is extreme. And when you present an extreme truth as moderate, you are lying. And when you present the wrong truths as moderate, you are capable of the most extreme and destructive rackets in the world today. Right? That was what, you know, and I've, I've known this, but it, 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 it just sort of came to me as a clear thought uh, in the shower this morning. <laughs> so I, I hope I hope that I was able to share that in a way that, that gives people confidence. Not that our message is extreme. In a sense, you know, and maybe I should have included this, but our message, libertarianism, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, uh, that's pretty fucking moderate, right? Like, when you go... Yeah, hey, that's, that's, yeah, that, no shit, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, don't, don't, and, 
force fraud and coercion or wrong human beings should be uh, respected in our self-ownership. No shit. That's, that's really fucking moderate. Mind-blowing. It's, it, you know, but what we are pointing out is that by contrast to this moderate truth that we all learned in kindergarten, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, uh, the violations of that, the institutionalization of that in society today, holy shit, that is fucking extreme. The suffering that we experience under this power structure, under government today, the death, the loss of value. Look, step back and measure it to your own subjective satisfaction. There is no way you don't come to the conclusion that the cost of government, the cost of moderating these truths, the costs of accepting this power structure is extreme. Does that help? <laughs> Hopefully it helps somebody. <laughs> You're, I agree with you 100%. It is the most moderate, most basic standard to stand on that makes the most sense. I mean, uh, Status is with us, of course. Good morning, fellow Status. Thomas Tardis just timed in. Uh, Tom Fox has a question for you. Do you think that this gets resolved bloodlessly? Is there a hidden cache of reasonable people that I haven't discovered? <laughs> we're not discovered here. We're, we're right here. Uh, no, so is this, does this end bloodlessly? Uh, I, 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 before I even answer that question, I have to kind of explain my language and my framing. Uh, a lot of people look at the protests today and counter-protests and, and the violence and the regular headlines that we see. Someone died because they got pepper sprayed. Someone died because they got in an argument. Someone died because they were we wearing the wrong gang colors at a protest in downtown Portland. Someone got shot because, you know, they got carried away in, in property destruction. Uh, someone got shot because they got... Uh, they got uh, they got they got a little hands on with someone with a gun on them. You know, all all of those kinds of headlines. A lot of people look at this and they call it a civil war. And I think you know when we talk about it, it is something extreme. Uh, th these individual incidents are all absolutely extreme, and 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 that's why I like to say that it's it's not a civil war what we're experiencing right now, that, you know, overall the level of violence itself is still extremely low. Now, I, I don't deny the potential that, that we could be sitting on various powder kegs, that, that the uh, widespread nature of the violence as it is already is quite disturbing and should be troubling to anybody looking forward with a humane perspective, Any, anybody who cares about people. But rather than these incidents of violence being a premonition or a prelude to something much greater, I'm much more inclined that these are forced acts that make us fear that. Because there's so much of this that is astroturf, that is created by infiltrators and agitators and provocateurs. 
and a lot of it is driven, even even if there is no conspiracy related to the elections, a lot of this is driven by election year motivation. If I don't go smash these cars, Trump might get reelected. Right? You know, it, 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 it's just that, that underlying part of the paradigm that I think fuels all of this that is going to go away in November or <laughs> maybe a month or two later when, when, when the election is settled. Um, I, I, I really do think this is more forced in that sense, the more, more astroturf than organic. So, you know, is this going to end bloodlessly? Is this going to end, you know, without a, a civil war? Or is there a, a hidden cache of reasonable people? No, most people are reasonable. Most Americans are not participating in these protests. Most Americans are watching them disgusted. Most Americans are affected by them. Most Americans are affected by the propaganda of coronaphobia. You know, 30% saying that they're going to do temperature checks at Thanksgiving. 40% saying, according to the, the studyfinds.org article we covered yesterday, 40% doing virtual Thanksgivings instead of in-person Thanksgivings. But... Uh, and, and so you, you but, but those people are not about to go to fisticuffs. Uh, and, and yeah, they, they are in the sense around the extremes that, uh, anger is high, anxiety is high, desperation is high. But those people who have fallen for that bigger, uh, propaganda paradigm, they're, they're not, they're not about to jump into civil war. Right. Now, to the question, so, so to the second part of the question, is there a cache of reasonable people? Um, 60% of Americans are, are still doing in-person Thanksgivings, right? If it's 40% going virtual, 30% doing temperature checks, that leaves 30% of us who are more or less Doing normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, are we split 50-50, reasonable, unreasonable? Uh, you're, you know, when you say, is there a cache of reasonable people? Well, well, who would, you know, what, what would I say? You know, when we go to, let me think. So yesterday I, I did go into town to check the mail because I forgot it was Columbus slash Indigenous Peoples Day. <laughs> yes, it's one of those. You know, so it was funny. I pulled up to the post office in Ashford. Jim's been there, and uh, <laughs> there's 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 another woman going in right before me, holds the door for me, and we both go in and look at the counter and go, why why is the window closed? You know, I have a window and a, a pull down metal shade that locks, and we're like, it's it's three. 20, they're supposed to be open till 4. What, what the heck is going on? I, you know, and since she's there, you know, I, I knock on the counter and, uh, you know, or I, I knock on the on the metal shade. Hey, everybody in there? And we're both like, ah. and I'm like, I just came here to keep, I just came here to pick up a package. 
And then as as we're walking out, I pull up my phone. She's she's getting into her truck. I look at my it's Columbus Day. And she goes, ah. yeah, one of those holidays. So, to, 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 sorry, back to the question, you know, how many people are, re, you know, I think like, it, it, I was the reason I was going to ask for, she was not wearing a mask. I was not wearing a mask. Uh, I, I went to the gas station, uh, get a snack. And, there, this is Ash Fork, Arizona. Uh, a, a, two shell stations on the 40 and a beautiful, disparate rural community around them. And uh, in, you go into town and you see that there are tourists coming off the freeway going, oh, I better put my mask on before I go into the gas station. And they come in and, like, the clerks are behind uh, dividers, right? Uh, big plexiglass protectors, but uh, they're not wearing masks. None of the locals who are, you know, even during the day, about half, never less than half, I suppose, of the customers. And for the shell on the the corral, the corral market on the east side of Ashford, it's, I don't know, I I think uh, every time I've been in there, it's, it's not like it's just, tourists or people driving through it's it's usually at least half locals and none of us are wearing masks right and i see the uh tourists walk in and go clerks aren't wearing masks half the customers or more aren't wearing masks and it's like oh get in here corona's not a thing out here in ashford we don't care if you're if you're a super spreader you want to wear a mask we're not going to make fun of you fun of you but and, and we're not, we're, we're very polite and respectful. You know, it's a great community out here. You want to stand in line six feet behind, behind me? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to creep up on you. Eh. All right. We'll, we'll be like, but no, it's like, it's not a thing out here. And I think there are a lot of places like that in America. You know, I, I contrast that, like, if, if you go to, you know, last time Jim and I went to Walmart together, right, and we were the only two people in there, right, and we saw, how many people were in Walmart at that time, total? A couple hundred, maybe. Yeah, that's about what I was saying, somewhere around 200 people altogether who, who we passed or were around us or in the store at the time. And... I, I think somewhere between even 10 and 20% were like deliberately not wearing their masks properly, right? They had their nose exposed or they had it around their chin or hanging off an ear. And they looked at us and they were like, oh, I could just, just do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and, you know, with the other 80%, I don't know. But if it were 20% that were like that, it, it, are they reasonable people? Oh, yeah. I'm just doing this symbolically. I just don't. I, I'm not like Adam and Jim. I'm not going to make a statement because I'm in Walmart. I'm just here to have a stress-free shopping experience, but I don't buy into this shit at all. If it comes to fisticuffs... I'm fucking out of here or I'm just pulling out my cell phone to get it on video, right? Like that's, and, and that's, that's still, 
you know, a, a critical mass, even if it's just 20% who are being reasonable about all this. It's scary. You talk about communities and families being being ripped apart by this issue. Yeah, you might be the only one in your family. Like, even, even if you're not a libertarian, you might be the only one in your family at Thanksgiving who is reasonable about all this or in the conversations around Thanksgiving is just like, yeah, we're, I, I would have an in-person Thanksgiving with y'all. If one of you wants to distance, I, I'd let you, I'd respect that. And, you know, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to wear a mask. Uh, if you're the host and, you know, you want me to wear a mask, I'll, I'll go host rules, but like, this is all silly. And uh, this is, uh, mm, all right. Yeah, we get, we got this. And everybody else is like, you're fucking crazy! That, that's going to cost some issues, yeah. All right. Six feet, sir. Right. Six feet, six feet, sir. Excuse me? Why aren't you two wearing your masks right now? Excuse me? Excuse me? Excuse me? All right. CJ, are you back up with all the links? Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, links are good to go. Uh, we got Chris Cole backstage. Heard you're going to be talking some family law talk and would like to at least uh, get a minute or two to add to uh, the conversation. I'm just here uh, to let everybody know to go to CigarFederation.com uh, <laughs> because, again, I'm waiting for Friday when I get to uh, open up this and, and have a JSK nug. Hey, you're gonna, no, so oh, yeah. good. By the way, I don't know about the humidity there, CJ, but you're going to want to keep that thing sealed, maybe in the fridge. Oh, it, 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 it stays sealed. I just brought it out to sniff it real quick. You know, kind of like a Joe Biden thing. Just get a quick <laughs> sniff in and then just go away. But, uh, yeah, great, great. I uh, can't wait to do this. They also sent a a sticker, very random. I love root beer. So just a very random Sticker sent uh, to us, uh, or sent to, to with my my cigar order. Um, I also want to tell everybody uh, to go to uh, AdamVersusTheMan.com and check out our store. Our our, our store is pretty legit. Um, I just got the new uh, uh, Freedom uh, Snapback uh, shirt uh, hat here. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I I do like it a lot. Um, I didn't. I, I forgot that the snapbacks come with different color bills. But I, I do I do like for example the next one I want to get is this flex fit, uh, but yeah we got we got different choices of hat I like for example uh, the trucker hat Jim if you if you could zoom in here and help a guy out uh, I like the trucker hat personally and then I also I get once a year I get a new sweatshirt for the winter so I got my Adam versus the man sweatshirts right. uh, got the freedom logo on the back. And, uh, yeah, so I'm all merged out. You know, I'm ready for winter. I'm ready to go out on the town. I'm ready to look good. And uh, and when, and when uh, you wear an Adam versus the man, uh, a piece of apparel, you're just, you're just letting people know that we know that you know. And uh, it's nice to see uh, some of the pictures of people wearing, wearing it out there randomly. Because, you know, if you see the Freedom logo, if you see Adam versus the man, there's a common message there that we can go, hey, yeah, I see I know you. you. I see you, homie. 
I see you. We, you we, know, we, I know you know. You you know <laughs> that we know that you know. So uh, yeah, and then uh, that's that's uh, yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, the beanbag chair, the first beanbag chair, is in the mail. Jim, your sleeve is taking longer than expected. Uh, and uh, you know, so again, just help us out at the store if you're a producers club member. Uh, you get a promo code that's in the Producers Club chat. If you don't know it or if you want to know it, just ask me. I'll make sure you get it. If you're a regular, active, and engaged viewer, viewing member of this audience and you've paid attention to the chats and made it through all the trolls, somewhere in there was a uh, hidden Adam versus the Man promo code you can use, but that's to reward the active and engaged audience. And other than that, uh, I, I guess I well, could we do have a we do have a shout out to give on the next yes. topic for the Patreon. Yes. Go ahead, Adam. Give it up. Yes, thank you. I'm gonna. I'm. I don't want to uh, to identify people just for signing up for Patreon, but I do want to personally thank people on the air. So this is going to be our policy from now on. So this I'm I'm just identifying our new fifty dollar patron patron as Liberty. Uh, Mr. Liberty, Mrs. Liberty, we'll just say, uh, Liberty for now. Thank you, Liberty. They know who they are. You, you, you know who you are. Thank and you so much. we know that you know that we know. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is great. We haven't had a $50 patron for quite a while. Uh, we've had a bunch of $10 patrons and $10, that's where it's at. We're going to be announcing them every day from now on. So if you join, you sign up. For ten dollars a month, or even a dollar, we will uh, we'll be thanking you on the air as part of our opener on the show. And you know, we've talked about this before. I really hope now more than ever. I suppose if we're if we're starting to get fifty dollar patrons, we must be striking some nerves here. But the the when you see the the result of the the censorship, I mean, you imagine. <clears throat> Now I feel like I'm doing a telethon. Let me put it to you this. Can you imagine a world without Adam versus the man? <laughs> now, can, can, you, can you imagine, uh, you know, a media landscape without this perspective? I, 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 I remain humble. It's not about me. I am, I am not I, – I am unique. I am, a, I am a special snowflake. But I am not the only one who offers this function to society by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, if, if they, but you know, it, can you imagine a world where there's no one to acknowledge these extreme truths, these destructive truths? There's no and 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 after being censored, you know that it's not just a fair playing field, and, and humanity is just calmly acknowledging these things and moving past the present reality. <clears throat> no, it, <clears throat> excuse me. It really does require an active and engaged audience to support independent media. And I hope you see the imperative of this now. because it, and, and also with Corona, with where we are right now. And I, I wouldn't – I mean, if I, was, if I was some kind of bullshit artist, you know, I, I would come up with something scarier than this. But this is the one thing that I, I really don't know. I cannot predict. If – in the next few months, we are going to come out of Corona with positive momentum and awareness of how badly we have been taken advantage of in the reality of the current power structure. Or if 
we are going to allow the victors, if the authorities, to write the history and to, with that understanding, keep this dark cloud of manipulation through uh, bioterrorism, fear from biothreats, uh, going for decades. Like that, 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 you know, that outcome really is in the hands of our generation right now and being a part of the show, supporting the show. And again, whether it's me or someone else, if you wandered in here by accident today, where you go, oh yeah, there's this, there's this version of Adam's message from this dude with a better sense of humor who I enjoy listening to more and he doesn't cough as much on the air and he has a, a more pleasant voice and, and you know, <laughs> damn it, then support that guy. You know, but th- this message, uh, you know, and I, I'd like to think my version of it is uh, um, among the most effective and 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 worthy of your support. So I do I do ask for it. If you're if you're watching, if you're listening right now, if you're not at least uh, a ten dollar a month patron, please join us AdamVersusTheMan.com or Patreon.com/slash AdamVersusTheMan. Now, today, oh, yes, Make Them Debate, our last promo. Check out Make Them Debate. It's a lot of fun. Um, see if you can come up with debates for me. Sponsor them. It's a, it's a really cool system. I'm not going to get it. We did a long thing on them uh, with Mercedes, and I think there's a video about that from, uh, from last week. But uh, we do have a guest today, and far be it for me to, uh, to wait until 14 minutes before he's coming on to announce him. But, yes, James Taller is uh, joining us from Kentucky, running as a Libertarian for state rep for their 78th district. And uh, we're going to have Chris Cole join us. And, Chris, if you're watching, I hope you don't mind waiting. Um, Oh, you want to do this story first? All right, let's do do Chris Cole right now, then. And uh, and then we're going to do James, and, and then we're going to get into our big pile of headlines. What was the story? I have it somewhere. And go ahead and bring Chris up. Uh, where? Let's see. Where was the story? Give me a second. Oh yeah, no, it's the first. It's my lead story today. That's the first one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have Chris Cole of Victims of Family Law joining us for our first headline today. How you doing, Chris? I'm great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. All right, so this headline. You know, it's, I, I'm really grateful that you could join us for this in particular because I feel like you are, if not warning us about this, you are showing us the premonitions of this very early on in the crisis, discussing how some parents were being denied access to their children because in joint custody situations, if either parent had a higher standard of COVID protection, they could say that, well, if my if our kid goes to stay with you, then you're you're exposing me to and, and them to a lower standard of COVID protection than I would want. Is that a fair way of describing it, Chris? Absolutely. I mean basically what they've done is is um is taken a parent who might be skeptical or doesn't believe in this threat the way the propagandized media and everybody has uh, sold it as, and they're basically telling you if you're a good or bad parent based on 
um, your your belief of safety. So how know, much do you agree with authorities? No, 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 no. This is this is this is a bigger point. I, like you might want to turn this into some kind of bumper sticker sticker for VFL. The state says your value as a parent is based on how much you agree with them. Yeah, hold on. I'm having some audio issues. I'm going to log out and come right back on. All right. Well, you're sounding clear for me. I guess there's a little interference from my end. But this is a, a, a really important point here. And, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for Chris's work and having brought this to my attention. But, you know, like it, it, victims of family law is, is a really a, a beautiful, inclusive term for anybody who's been through a, a bad divorce, and I, not, not even a bad divorce, a divorce that was made worse by government involvement, right? Uh, anybody who's been a child of divorce, anybody who's had their kids uh, threatened to be taken from them because their neighbor saw them smoking pot or they had some kind of criminal record. Uh, but now with, with corona being applied to this, it really is in, in stark clarity that your value is a, is, is evaluated. Your, your value as a parent is based on how much you agree with the authorities. Uh, and now this, this new, okay, so we're going to bring Chris on after I introduce the story here. This is from sunsentinel.com. Uh, the Sun Sentinel, no mask, no child custody. COVID-19 is a new factor in family law. Now, one more point before I get to the text of the story. You'll notice that uh, Chris and I actually use different delineating points in which uh, excuses used to deny someone access to their children. Chris said that it was sometimes people who didn't believe. It was a problem of belief. If if I've seen some Facebook post of of my uh, my baby daddy saying, "Oh yeah, this thing about the virus hoax is nonsense," well then I can show that to a judge and I can say that he he might be irresponsible with my child's safety. But there's even even a, a more benign version of this where. If I have a job where I'm exposed, uh, your your spouse could use that as an excuse to keep your child from you. It could be that you're doing your best, that you believe more or less in the government line, but for some reason, your job entails. Uh, and you know what? We saw this with frontline health care workers early on in this crisis. And, you know... It, if the virus was a real, was a significant enough threat to justify this, you could just go, ah, well, that's unfortunate. But there were nurses who were denied access to their children in joint custody situations because they were nurses, because that alone represented a unique risk. So welcome back, Chris. Let me just read a couple lines from this story and then get your comments. Melanie Joseph wants to see her son, but a judge won't let her for no reason except that she won't wear a mask. Joseph's 14-year-old son has asthma, a condition that could put him at risk of contracting 
COVID-19 during this pandemic court filings show Broward Circuit Judge Dale Cohen called the mother an anti-mask person who had the audacity to brag about it on Facebook. Conservatives take issue with the decision, but it illustrates how judges and family court now must consider the health risks of COVID-19 on top of juggling the interests of feuding ex-spouses, single parents, and reluctant child support payers. Chris, uh, I don't know if you predicted this precisely, but I, I think you got a big told you so today. Yeah. I mean, anything, any excuse that they can use, and the new weapon that's being used on societies is health, safety, and your and, and the line that we always hear, either our best interest or the child's best interest, determined by the government based on whatever scenario they're trying to share with us. Um, you know, if the government and the judges and the courts and, and all these people were really worried about the best interests of our children, then equal shared parenting would be the norm. Then we wouldn't be serving them soft drinks and chicken nuggets from McDonald's. Um, then we wouldn't have obese children at the age mm -hmm. of seven or eight years old mm -hmm. that is child abuse you see parents yep. walking around no one's stealing kids away um you know typically it's 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 a lifestyle environment thing um where these kids are obese morbidly obese as children no one's taking kids away for that you know these kids have stand a, a greater health risk of some of the foods they eat the the, the drinks they drink and not having equal access to their parent, we know statistically, is abuse. So the, the constant excuse to just give them, um, you know, these powers, emergency powers. Well, let's just create an emergency, and then we'll take the power. That's all that's happening. Yeah, and of course, I, I appreciate you bringing that perspective to this, Uh you know, something we try to do a lot with Adam versus the man is to zoom out because one of the worst ways in which we are manipulated is by misdirection and bringing attention to these these greater, I guess, cultural. Uh, I mean, it's, is it is, is obesity cultural when it's promoted by government policy? You know, kind of, I don't know if I want to call that cultural. But I, I want to get to a couple more parts of the story here and get your take on these. Um, and, and this story goes on to detail uh, the way this started first with the surgeon. Uh, and then there were other cases with, with health care workers. And, and then that came to – and a lot of those people were able to fight it and, and, and to win and say, look, I, I'm a nurse, but, you know, compared to my spouse, my because of my extreme – PPE and my safety precautions, I'm at no less risk. I shouldn't be denied right. Uh, but that came to include especially anybody who uh, verbally or on social media especially asserted that they weren't going to adhere to the highest standard, whatever the heck that is today as opposed right. to yesterday or last week. Uh, but this is about a particular case. The judge said in-person visits visits would have to be supervised because he doesn't trust Joseph 43 to wear a mask and he would not consider a long distance parenting plan, which outlines each parent's rights when they don't live in the same state between Joseph and her son until the COVID crisis is passed. 
These, these judges, these judges are are educated in pre-crime and pre-abuse and yeah, right. pre-pre-exposure to disease. Yeah. Now hold on, you're going to see. Hold on, it's going to come to your bigger point in a second here. Here's the quote from the judge: "When this pandemic is over, and there's no cases, and there's a vaccine, the mother is going to need to get a vaccine as well. Yeah. When I have proof that everybody's safe." And the child's not at risk or danger, then we can talk about a long-distance parenting plan. Now, before we go to Chris, I want to share, there's a quote in the story from my friend Toe Bishop, uh, and that's Toe, T-H-O, editor at the Mises Institute. He says, you see them using opinion grounding in si- grounded in science to justify government outreach. They far overstep the justified power of their office under the premise that we're in this emergency. By the way, opinion grounded in science isn't science. For government uh, overreach, yeah. And, and they're using this as the excuse. Chris, knowing what you know about family court and, and family law judges, how much does this not surprise you? <laughs> It's it's just an excuse to control, manipulate, and profit. Um, you know they 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 don't. Civil courts are charging parents for criminal activity that never gets seen in a criminal court, which means a judge can keep you from your kids without you being charged with anything or having committed a violent crime or put your child in danger, um, but. They will allow you to be around anyone else's children. You can be the best stepdad after they've stolen your own children. Or you could impregnate another woman. Hopefully this one's not willing to steal your kids for profit and child support payments. But it really just shows the absurdity in the level of uh, granted authority by these family courts that basically let them dictate the law and even outside of our constitutional rights because they wear a robe, or as CJ likes to say, a black dress, and sit on a throne or a bench, as it is referred to it, and they abuse the law. They don't, they don't protect the law. They don't protect the people. They, they make their own decisions based on their best interests or the state's best interest when it comes to profit. And if you as a parent stand up for your rights and you assert yourself as a father and as a citizen of this country, you will be abused by these authoritarian judges who are basically insecure uh, human beings in a position of power. Now, Chris... There's another, uh, by the way, this person I've been referring to is Joseph, is, is the mother. Joseph is the last name. And uh, one of the things is she, she was at, an, at her oral surgeon's office and, and took a picture, and this was in June, took a picture, a selfie, captioned, no mask for this girl. And at the time, there was no mask mandate in North Carolina. Now, she accused the judge of letting his personal political views cloud his judgment in the case. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, personal political views could just be, I'm the authority, give me more power, I'll take any excuse. I, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that personal political views, but she also said, quote, my case has been in the court system 
for a number of years, and I have experienced with court proceedings, what occurred is unconstitutional and right. should never happen to a parent. Right. And this is one of the things that I, I want to point out, that you have done a great job of raising awareness for the unconstitutional nature of, of family courts, the lack of due process, the arbitrary power of the judge. And a lot of this comes from marriage licenses. Right. So when you, when you have a, when you get married, you are actually inviting the government. CJ, thank you for highlighting. I was about to read that. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, CJ is like really like, he knows my, he knows me so well. He's yeah. a, a step, he, he's a step ahead of my brain all the, the, the for two hours a day. It's crazy. Uh, but no, I want, I want to point out this first that the, the judges have in family courts this insane arbitrary authority because your marriage certificate is a contract where you have invited the government as a third party into your relationship. And yeah. as a libertarian, I'm against government having anything to do with marriage. It was originally a racist institution as a legal institution to prevent interracial marriage, if not at least, you know, and, and did significantly limit it. But as a way for government to have that power in your lives, in your relationship, that's what it's used for now. And that's how they get away with a lot of this legal stuff, creating family law courts that don't have to respect legal precedent that, that, that are consider themselves operating outside of constitutional legal bounds. And this has been true for a long time. And CJ, back to the highlight. This was the last part of the story. And Chris, I know this is one of the major frustrations you face in your situation as a single father, but for, for anybody dealing with family law courts, judges are not permitted to discuss their ongoing cases. That was the last line in the article, as if, yeah, we would have reached out to the judge for comment, but we know that they're basically black boxes and black robes who have no obligation to, to justify their opinions, can, can, can stand behind the bench, behind that authority of government, and, as you said, sit on a throne. So, Chris, right. uh, given that, that you predicted this, and I, I, I don't expect you to be able to make the bigger call because I can't in terms of where we are going with the momentum of this crisis. But in terms of family law, where do you see this going? And, and do you have any advice for anybody dealing with any family law situations right now? Um, you know, you can see the trend in divorce rates at 50 percent. You can see the trend in. Um, children being born out of wedlock, which is around 40% now. And basically, from my viewpoint, is I'm seeing that there's an increase in creating dysfunction, which is also an increase in creating divorce rates, which, as you said, in marriage, that gives government license to, A, um, basically incentivize a financial battle and then not only are we dividing up assets, but you're having to hire attorneys. You're forcibly having to hire attorneys. And they may say, oh, well, you can represent yourself. But let me tell you this. They're not going to even look at you uh, or treat you as a human being unless you pay for an attorney. 
On top of that, if you are smart enough not to get married or government married um, to where your assets are then divided up, now they're incentivizing custody battles, um, which is basically child support is basically alimony. It's, it's, it's just a different name for something where typically the father, I don't say typically, all the time, the father is usually the one that has to fight for his custody rights out of um, having children out of wedlock. Now, the state states that parents have equal rights, yet it's extremely clear that those rights are not protected, which which forces the incentivized court battle, which causes long litigation, which causes bankruptcies, which causes um, the use of the best interests of the child. Creating two broke parents to fight over their kids is not in the best interest of any child. And then what happens is now that child's forcibly being raised in a broken, financially, emotionally bankrupted home and is more likely to recreate that scenario where the courts will profit than in the future. It's a cottage industry. They profit off broken families. And the reason America is suffering today, which is why I want, if not me, you, Adam, and people like Cash Jackson and, um, you know, other libertarians to bring up this issue as a major issue on their platform. Spike Cohen has done a great job recognizing this issue. I wish Joe would have taken it more in her campaign to the forefront, but 2024 is coming, and uh, I know you're running, and I may be running for something too, and I know Cash is running, and I, and I really think that libertarians should adopt this core root issue, which creates so many systemic issues that we talk about. Instead of talking about the right to do drugs and the right to sex work, why don't we talk about the fact that if we, if we heal broken families, maybe less people will want to do drugs. Maybe less people will want to do sex work. Maybe young girls who grew up with strong father figures might not want to sell their bodies. Now, that's yeah. an option if you want to. But why don't we create healthier people instead of advocating for rights for people to do unhealthy things? That's all I'm saying as a father. Well, yeah, well I, would, I would caution to, to judge what is healthy or unhealthy for someone else. Sure. But I certainly agree with your sentiment. And I think it's very important for libertarians to focus more on what matters to people day to day. And, I, I mean, I would quote James Carville, right? It's the economy, stupid. It's people being right. deprived. I mean, yes, they, they, there are these deeper health and spiritual issues that go along with that. I don't mean to discount that, but when you look at government, it's, you gotta acknowledge the theft and, 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 and all the consequences of that that, right. that uh, result in so many other problems. But Chris, uh, I gotta say thanks for joining us today, but we have, we have one last question from producer CJ. And sure. this is, you know, something that came up, especially in, in, uh, in my presidential campaign talking about, uh, getting rid of the federal government. Uh, CJ would like to know, what do you say to people who say this is not a federal issue? Um, you know, it's basically like saying that alcoholism or, or the abundance of alcohol use is, has nothing to do with heart disease. It is at the root of it. Um, the federal government 
incentivizes the states and the state courts and the child support agencies to to limit parental rights and limit child access and parental access to justify the child support orders, which Mm -hmm. are also pretty much welfare recovery programs. So what they do is anyone who's on welfare, um, they typically side with that parent because they're on welfare programs. Well, the state takes the financially fit parent to pay child support, finding them unfit without due process. And that feeds the welfare programs and also those who work in the in the these welfare programs and state agencies. So basically all the bonus structure and funding and salaries that are being paid for is paid through through largely um, through child support payments. And that pay, that parent who is accepting welfare or state funding, whether it be Medicaid or anything like that, signs over, I believe, and I think this is it could be in every state. Um, so, so don't quote me on it, but this is the information that I've heard is that they're signing over and a percentage of the child support that's being paid by the non-custodial parent is going back into the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that's delegated and regulated and handed out percentage-wise, I do not know. I just know that there's matching funds for child support enforcement, which is not encouraging the best interest of the child, which is not encouraging parental rights. Well, thank you for joining us today, uh, last minute, and and for helping cover this issue, Chris. Greatly appreciate your time. Adam, thank you as always. So, you know, one last point I I, I just have to make about this story before we get to our patient guest here. Uh, The way that most Americans think of issues with family law, with child custody, divorces, they think of them as issues with local judges. They think of them as state-by-state issues, perhaps. And there is significant variation state-by-state because there are these state agencies. And, and, and we talking about this as, uh, as political analysts even have a hard time with the acronyms. Because every state has a different agency with a different name. Now, some of them are the same. There's a lot lot that are CPS, Child Protective Services, DCF, Department of Children and Families. There there are a handful of others that they use in different states. And you think that these agencies are are, are acting independently and somehow are a product of just the state government or the community or, well, this is how we deal with these issues. And, of course, we could do better. But the the unfortunate nature of how America does divorces and family law, uh, that's just that's just that's just, that's just kind of how things are. And that seems like a very moderate truth. And in a way, I have to apologize to everybody who listened to Adam versus the Man uh, prior to this iteration. Because in the past, I had kind of accepted that moderate truth. And I wasn't lying. I didn't come up with that. But I was unwittingly passing on a moderation version of the truth. Or moderated 
or moderate version of the truth. And as Chris Cole and any honest examination of family law points out, as his group, Victims of Family Law, and, and others in that realm doing so much great work. But Chris in particular is pointing out that there is an extreme truth behind this, that there is federal involvement, that this is not organic, that this is an extremely dangerous, destructive sub-racket of government policy that destroys lives, that destroys families, that significantly reduces quality of life for tens of millions of Americans directly and everyone else indirectly. And I say this myself as a child of divorce to be able to step back and recognize, oh, that wasn't just a bad thing that happened. Yeah, we, we can blame that on government too. And we really have to, to acknowledge the extreme truth of the state of family law in America. All right, that's more than enough time uh, to keep our guests waiting, James Toller. James, thank you so much for waiting. Let's get James up on stage here. James Toller, thank you so much for joining us. James is running for state representative to represent the 78th District of Kentucky. He's a truck driver and uh, running to represent the working class in Kentucky. You can check out his Facebook page, facebook.com slash Toller4KY. 78. James, welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? It's good to see doing you. Doing good, doing good. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Good seeing you again. Uh, but I do have something that I do wear on all my suits, though, that you give me back in March. All right. Uh, yes. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, no, we had a great time in Kentucky uh, on the tour this year, as we always do. Uh, but what motivated you to run this cycle? Uh, pretty much just uh, being in the uh, trucking industry and, and fighting with the government. And, and you know, I've talked to you about that particular fight uh, that we've been in over the last few years and uh, and actually seeing that people don't have a voice unless you have money. And, you know, money is what it takes to talk to these high-up people. And, and we got to change that. we got to change the direction of the government. So demanding access. Well, let me ask in particular, uh, why run for a state representative seat and what do you hope to achieve with that? Well, you know, not ever been in politics uh, before. Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I didn't feel that that I would be worthy of coming in and, and taking a a U.S. seat as far as U.S. Congress or Senate or something like that. Uh, so I wanted to wanted to start down at the state level because I'm a firm believer that we can't change our country until we change our states. And, you know, getting in here at this level, uh, I'll have the opportunity of maybe not completely turning the state around, but at least getting it back on track to come back around to the people. Well, when you say represent the working class, and based on your experience as a trucker, what policies at the state level do you think are, are going to have the most impact on that that you can work on? Well, uh, taxes for one. Uh, you know, we can do a lot of reform to the, to the taxes here in Kentucky. Of course, we're taxed on every single thing here in the state, 
they even tax taxes. Uh, so, you know, just doing that, uh, as far as eliminating property tax, uh, eliminating state income tax, uh, and things like that, uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, even if we can't get the state income tax taken completely out, another, uh, libertarian that's running here in the state, you know, brought up the other day, uh, let's eliminate the, uh, income tax on overtime. And let's give all that money to the people. So, you know, things like taxes and 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 things like that, you know, can play a big part in turning it back around for the people and the working class. Now, one of the great mythologies of government is that we have a progressive we have a progressive tax system, right? And they say, well, you know, the more you earn, the more you pay in taxes. So the richer you are, the more the burden of government you're paying, right? And and it, it's true on paper. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to play some verbal trickery here, but it, it it's true that on paper, yes, we have a progressive income tax, but the reality doesn't reflect that at all, does it? In the overall tax scheme, that we have a system where the rich are able to manipulate how they pay taxes and, and end up paying. Less and, and you know we saw even even Donald Trump what seven hundred and fifty and I say good for him you know for for being able to avoid that theft but you know it, it, it's it, you have to acknowledge that if that's the case poor people aren't as capable of avoiding taxation and given that the purpose of government is for the rich or the super rich to get richer and the rest of us to get relatively poorer. What you're pointing out here, James, is a really dangerous, extreme truth that we don't have a progressive tax system overall in America. We have a regressive tax system that disadvantages the poor and working class. Would you would you agree with that characterization? Yeah, uh, most definitely. And, you know, I'm not going to say that every single state is in that situation, uh, you know, you you have some states out here that you know have more lenient on tax laws than than other states and Kentucky sadly enough is not one of those states and uh you know are there a lot of states that's like that no there's not uh but again it just, I just keep going back to we have to fix our state before we fix the country uh you know if we fix the country before the states is within the country then the country's never fixed to begin with. So, uh, you know, things like that, uh, you know, the, the income tax, uh, property tax, will we get the property tax completely eliminated or off the bat? You know, probably not. Uh, you know, so why can't we just go back and say, okay, once you've hit the retirement age at 62 or 65, uh, why can we not relieve those uh, people of yes. the property tax burden because they're 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 on a limited budget at that point anyway so they shouldn't have to worry about giving up what they have uh to be to be sure that they pay their property tax because if they don't pay it they just lose their property to the government you you're a step ahead of me again just i was i was about to read this post off your page where you say you're going to end property taxes for people are, are 65 plus years old and I, I want to congratulate you 
uh, there, there's a sort of genius to this targeted messaging for libertarians participating in politics because a lot of us want to jump in and say, well, taxation is theft. Let's change this whole thing. And, and it's true that we <laughs> should. And if I could push a button, I would. And, and knowing you, I bet you would too. But looking at the, the, the overall issue, where can we, and it's not even just looking at what can we agree on, but what can we point out to the general public or the electorate that is particularly emotional, that, that triggers people by, by singling out a way of, of changing the policy that highlights the most vulnerable? And what you have done here is not just that, but you've pointed out this contradiction in an American government in general that we say, well, when you're 65, you're retired, you get Social Security. We don't expect you to work anymore. Society's going to take care of you now. But then we have a tax on taxes, right? That tax money yeah. that you get as your Social Security benefit. If you own your home, you're supposed to give a chunk of that to the government in property taxes? Yeah. This is why grandma has to eat cat food and ramen noodles sometimes, right? <laughs> right. And you go, this is, and, and you know, I, compared to the guy running in yelling taxation is theft, not that we don't need that guy too, but that you're able to say, hey, assholes, can we at least stop being assholes in this one extreme way that's screwing over senior citizens? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I know you might use more politically correct language as a candidate to describe this, but uh, is that part of the effect that this is having tactically, and how is this kind of messaging being received for you? Yeah, it definitely is, and, and the message is really going a long way. Uh, it, it's doing great, and, and not only, you know, to the ones that I'm talking to that's registered libertarian or anything like that, but it, it's straight across the board, uh, talking to the, the registered D's, the registered R's, uh, all the way across the board. And, you know, it, it's, it's really surprising that, that people now realize, you know what, this is right. You know, why should I have, I mean, you know, I make a, a very limited income after I've retired. You know, why should I have to worry about saving a third of everything I get every month to make sure that I pay that property tax and things uh, at the end of the at the end of the year? Uh, and whenever I made my first post about that, I and, and what's disturbing is back home where I'm from and in another part of the the state here, somebody came on there, which is now a He's a, an elected official within that county uh, at a county level. And he was like, well, the, the government can't take your property. They don't take your property. And I'm like, yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, and, and we got into a long discussion on there. And and at the end, he pretty much said, you know, I didn't really realize that. And I'm like, well, you need to because the people of your county is losing their homes. I said, that's why these homes and properties sold on the courthouse steps every year around March or April is because they owe a thousand dollar property tax bill. And the bad thing about that is they sell that for around what you owe on property tax, but mm -hmm. they don't give you the chance to buy that back. Now, 
there, there's so it seems like you you in this particular incident ran into a certain amount of status denial. Oh no, that's not really how it works, you know. And 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 if you again, and I, and I, I just to go back to the bigger point of of the strategy and the messaging and showing, uh, I, I want to underscore the effectiveness of this approach, uh, particularly for libertarians run at the state and local level where you really don't even in conversation have an appropriate point to, to, to make a radical change. Although this would in and of itself snowball and have significant consequences and lead to radical changes in that using this approach, you can find some threads to pull on the sweater. In the case of this guy you were talking to, Who's like, oh, the government doesn't take people's homes. That's not a thing. There's no, there's no enforcement. There's no gun in the room. No, no, no. It's all, it's all peaceful and cooperative, right? You hear this from people, especially when you go to the extreme positions, when you go to the blanket positions, because when you say taxation is theft, we can do everything better voluntarily. For a rational person, for someone who's open-minded, that might resonate, that might work. But for the average human being who doesn't think that way, when you say, well, hey, let's eliminate property taxes for those 65 and older, well, what happens is you can zoom in on an emotionally evocative negative consequence of that. And then the only, and, 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 and the person in denial Instead of saying, but we need taxes for roads and for police and for the military and for the borders and for this program and that program and for, for this welfare and that subsidy and this agency and that agency, right? Because that's what they're conditioned to do. Mm -hmm. You're now running up against all of that embedded propaganda psychologically, whereas if you say, hey, why not in property taxes for people 65 and older? And someone's in denial, you you get to home in on that one thing that they're in denial of. You don't have to argue everything point by point. You go, oh, really? Yeah. Have you ever tried not paying your property taxes? Right. Because here are the numbers. Here are the houses for sale that have been stolen by government. This this is a thing. Right. So I think that, that that's created a unique opportunity for you. Now, James, I... I I'd like to ask you a few questions about the nature of your campaign, uh, especially given that it's 2020 and in the era of coronaphobia, you're getting out and especially, uh, you know, running for a, a state house district uh, position. You're going out. I mean, you, uh, normally this is the extreme of retail politics. Uh, you are going to go out, you can, you can, how, how many constituents in your district? Uh, altogether, we're looking at about <laughs> around 34,000, uh, registered voters. Uh, now does everybody vote that's registered? Obviously not. Uh, but that's what we're looking at as far as registered voters go, about 34,000. So 34,000 is a small enough number that over the course of a many months long campaign, you're going to go out normally and speak in front of and shake hands with and meet directly personally 
with as many voters as you personally can. And that's going to be a critical factor in Mm -hmm. your success and having an impact. Uh, How much is that still true versus things going uh, virtual or with masks or, you know, how else has COVID affected this? Well, at first I've I've done a lot of uh, Facebook and things like that. And and I still do some, Uh, but a lot now I am out able to go out, actually knock on doors, get in front of people, uh, go to these small events. Yeah, obviously they're still doing the social distancing, uh, mask and, and all that, but they're, they're still happening. Uh, they're not as huge or as big as they used to be, uh, because of everything, but they're happening. And, you know, it's, uh, the, the thing is, is I'm running against the incumbent. It's a two way race. Uh, between myself and the incumbent and you know i've i've gotten a lot of uh a lot of good response uh, you know i've always said that the county he lives in i'm not going to win that county i've always i've said that from the get-go uh, mm-hmm. the thing is can i get enough votes out of there to to pattern uh what we need uh, i'm gonna i'm pretty confident uh you know, 90% confident that I'm going to win my county that I live in, mm. and, you know, and now it's, you know, the the battleground, what I call it, uh, is the county in the middle, and, you know, it's, I'm having some great success over there, I'm over there every single day, and knocking on doors, and, and talking to people, and things like that, I believe I got an event coming up this Thursday over there, uh, to get in front of a few people, and things like that, also even, the guy I'm running against, like I said, he's the incumbent. He's a Republican. Um, I've got the Democrats on my side over there. Uh, they're backing me. They're pushing me. They're out talking for me, knocking on doors, mm-hmm. up yard signs, uh, and everything like that. They even wrote up a big, I don't know, like a hundred and some word uh, paper, piece to put in a paper. You know, don't vote straight ticket. We need you to vote for James um, mm. and things like that. So, uh, you know. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, and especially in a county that's got 4,000 more registered Democrats than Republicans. Uh, so, you know, it, it, at first it, it, it had an impact, uh, but now, uh, you know, I'm not saying things are loosening up, but I believe the people said, you know what, we, we've got to keep an open mind here, and we've got to uh, – accept people coming to my door because this is a this is really is a an important election and they they seem like that they're with me as far as we need a change in the leadership so well uh, that's that really you know I'm, i'm usually skeptical you know, when you can run for president or you can run for senator, Congress, you know, for a libertarian to invest energy and resources that are very limited at the local level. But, James, I, I want to I want to say, I mean, I'm, you've convinced me, certainly, that, that, that this is one of those worthwhile races where not only do you have a chance to win, um, uh, but certainly an extremely high probability Uh, of having a major impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the fact that you have already uh, won over some Democrat resources 
to promote a libertarian candidate. Uh, I, I want to say I really hope that uh, on the off chance that you don't win this cycle, that that you continue that you continue this momentum for for two years from now. That either you run again for this seat, or since you're doing very well in your home county, you know maybe you can take this momentum and uh, run for uh, a, a, a county council seat or, or some other position in the county that, that would be appropriate. But I, I, I see that you're building this momentum and you're connecting with people locally in a really powerful way and, and giving people a great example of how to be a libertarian candidate. So one last question. Oh, sorry, do you have anything you want to respond oh, to that? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I always give the credit to my campaign team. Uh you know, coming into this, really never been in politics. I mean, they've done great. And that's one thing that they told me. They said, even if you lose, they said, we're pretty sure you're going to win. But they said, even if you lose, they said, don't get comfortable with taking off. They said, because, uh, you're going to, you're going to hit it before the, before the end of 2021 again. And they said, you're going to go get it the next time. So, yep. you know, we'll be, we'll be back in 2022, win or lose. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I know that's awesome to have that. That sense of, uh, I mean, it's stu- like as a libertarian, I look at all this political crap and go, "Why is society still making decisions this way? This doesn't make any sense," you know. And there's like, you have you have to kind of get past that to say, okay, even though the system is so ridiculous, I can make a positive impact and improve people's lives doing this. Uh, but but even within that, there's this thing about name ID. Name ID is more important than idea ID. Sad to say, um, and and this is this is the reality. You know, as libertarians, we we tend to be a little on the nerdy side. We tend to be a little on the autistic side. You know, and and that leads us to to deny the reality of human nature of people who aren't exactly like us, and we are much more inclined to relate to ideas than people. And most other people are more inclined to relate to people first. And that frustrates us because we have, but this idea is so important. I'm just, I'm just a dude. I could die tomorrow. This truth is still important. And, and that's true. But if we want to make change, we have to, communicate with people on that more human level and, and, and really get out and recognize the humanity in ourselves that drives us in the first place to want to help other people. Right. So James, you know, this is, this is a, uh, you know, really an, an amazing opportunity. One last question. What's your pitch to people, uh, libertarians and our, our audience in particular outside the state of Kentucky who might give you a last-minute donation or uh, a volunteer boost right now? Yeah, uh, you know, any help is is greatly appreciated. Uh, you know, going into this last month is very important. Uh, our early voting here in Kentucky started today. Uh, I actually went out and voted this morning, and it was kind of, you know, I've, I've told a few people it's kind of awkward to go into a voting booth and actually see your name up on that ballot. Uh, but, you know, it's very important that we have a huge uh, last three weeks actually now uh, going into uh, November the 3rd and anything that we can get any kind of donations or anything uh, we're, we're going to use them. 
there's so many other resources that I haven't done that I could. I just didn't have the funds. Uh, so, you know, just on that James Toller for Kentucky 78th District there on Facebook, uh, if you scroll down, I, I believe it's the pin post at the top uh, is actually the link uh, to donate. Uh, yep. to, the, to the campaign, uh, you can just click on there and donate. It doesn't matter. Uh, libertarians, we seem to take a dollar just as far, if not further, than a $10,000 donation of an RRD. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be as small as you, as you can afford or as big as you can afford. We'll put it to good use. That's for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, James. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Good seeing you again. And thank you for what you do. Likewise. All right. So fun show so far, three-quarters of the way into it. I hope you're enjoying Adam versus the man as much as I am today. Let's do a check-in with our audience through the comment section real quick, and then we'll see how much of this big pile of news we can get through. There are a few critical headlines we do have to get to today to meet our standard of journalistic integrity. But first, what you got for us, Jim? Uh, well, everybody seems to agree with you. I'm pretty sure I'm a status chimes in telling folks, quote, I want to stop government taking your granny's house. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want, yeah, yeah. You want to connect with people at, 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 a, at an immediate, deep emotional level. There you go. That's a winning issue. Not much other, not much else to go in. In comments, Adam Dingle says, recognize there is no instant fix. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, there is. You know, we haven't talked about this too much lately. Maybe it's because I'm I'm over it or I'm at peace with it. But, like, when you become a libertarian, you're tempted by a lot of fantasies of sudden change, of revolution of a spark that lights a fire, of a national wave of protest that just comes and changes everything. And I don't want to discount that possibility. I don't want to squash your your naive romanticism because I, I can't deny the possibility and, and, you know, sort of the worst things get. It, it, it seems more and more likely that there's going to be one thing. You know, that we're going to get the right nominee for the presidency for the Libertarian Party. We're going to have one media show that takes off. We're going to have one book that all of a sudden everybody reads. We're, we're going to have one pamphlet. We're going to have one 30-second video. We're going to have one viral thing on YouTube or, or tweet or hashtag campaign. And over the period of weeks or months or less than a year, you know, okay, ah, we're not we're not a totalitarian, fascist, communist, socialist, statist society anymore. What do you know? And I, I don't know, Jim. I have. Let me ask you before I give you my numbers. Compared to that, or relatively slow, gradual change. What percentage would you say each is likely to occur? How you know, Could you say 50-50, it's going to be radical fast change or it's going to be slow change? What, what actual percentage numbers would you put on that? In, in likelihood of becoming reality? Right. 
Uh, well, one versus the other. We, we're assuming for this that there are 100% odds we will achieve a voluntary society eventually. The question is, will the first major shift away from the current paradigm and institutions of statism be sudden or gradual? Hmm. Hmm. That's a tough one. I think it's going to be sudden, but the uh, the aftermath is gradual. The fixing, the repairing, the getting to systems that work and benefit. You know what I mean? I think there's going to be something that's sudden. Like, I mean, it's I don't know. It's already been sudden. This year has been sudden. You know? Not the good, not the right way. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm leaning towards sudden, though. I'm leaning leaning towards all of a sudden. So slight modification, though, but you're saying that there might be a sudden trigger event, but that the majority of the change would still happen over time as society and institutions adjust. That's fair. Um, And, and you know, that's a a good modification because I think there's, there's a decent chance that you might have something sort of symbolic happen sudden. But of of major significance, I say ten percent or less, and and I don't that's that's enough that we need to take those shots, right, to make something happen. We need to be looking for the potential black swan, the 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 layer of tinder waiting to ignite in society, like an Arab Spring kind of event. But if you look, at, you look at the Arab Spring with a little uh, post-mainstream media analysis and you go, oh, yeah, pretty sure the CIA and the State Department had a lot to do with that and the sudden nature of it. And I'm much more inclined to think that, that change is, is, is going to happen slowly, that even if, you know, the Micronation Project takes off and the uh, the the sovereign nation, the kingdom of Gardenia, becomes a, a thing that people start to replicate. How long does that take before it meaningfully challenges state power, or even becomes a thing? It's not like you know buying property, buying some land in and of itself is a is a, is, a, is a it's not a click away, right? And so, Jim, I mean, come on, no troll comments. Is Gus not with us today? Any any uh, other? Well, I got a, I got a funny question? one that was from way earlier that I meant to bring up. I, I believe it was yesterday. I'm trying to remember the context, but you wanted to work the term "whore" into our censorship. I know about that? scientists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So Jeremy Gooding chimed in with that. He said, "Here are two really dumb ones: Doctor Falkenstein <laughs> and YouTube sense whoreship." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for the laugh, Jeremy. We'll leave it at that. All right, let's get to some headlines in the last few minutes of the show. CJ, now there are a few headlines in the pile here about uh, about COVID uh, recurring. I think we're going to skip those for tomorrow and come back. Uh, but we've got a lot of fun ones sent to us from the Producers Club. First one is, the drive.com headline Chevy Silverado driver busted towing 70 foot mobile home on rural Missouri highway. There's a reason 
actually many reasons why pickup trucks should not tow mobile homes. And uh, I, I, I just, I got to figure out like how this happened. Usually full-size mobile homes are transported by a tractor trailer sporting an oversized load sign with a chase vehicle in front or behind it. This job requires mapping out a route to avoid low bridges, sharp turns, low-hanging power lines, and it's almost always done during daylight hours. In specific cases, road signs need to be removed to allow wide loads to make turns. None of this was taken into consideration Late Saturday night when a Chevy Silverado driver decided to tow a 70-foot-long mobile home in the middle of the night. Joplin First News was tipped off about a three-quarter-ton truck towing a single-wide home on a metal frame that was blocking an entire highway and quickly arrived at the scene. According to the live report, the truck left from somewhere in Kansas to reach its final destination in Sarcoxy, Missouri. Trouble started when it tried to make a downhill 90-degree town onto Highway 86. And here we get to the heart of the story. The mobile home bottomed out as the truck turned onto the highway, creating an unintentional roadblock. Yeah, unsurprisingly. Authorities were notified of the situation after the local fire department came across the snafu while responding to a traffic accident and was forced to take an alternate route. Ah, yeah. Sad to see they didn't get away with it. Would have been fun. Redneck legendary epic story didn't quite happen. Ended in more typical redneck embarrassment uh our next story uh i still have to pull up apparently uh let's see skipping ahead one yahoo.com has this story from the independent johnny rotten sex pistol star claims trump is only sensible choice in u.s election yeah sex pistols front man um you know, we could go back and, and quote some lyrics about contradiction here, but it's uh, it, it's a little disappointing to see the Sex Pistols frontman John Linden voicing his support for Donald Trump, claiming that the president is the only sensible choice. Um, he's back Democrats in previous elections. And, you know, a, a lot of people want to look at this and go, Oh my gosh, punk sellout used to be rock and roll. Now you're pro duopoly. I I don't think that's how they see this. I think these are people. You know, remember celebrities are are highly manipulated for propaganda purposes. Just to state things generally. So the fact that John John excuse me John Lydon doesn't know about the Libertarian Party, doesn't know that that's an alternative. I I think that's all that that is saying. So if someone, I don't know, someone wants to take this story as an opportunity to reach out to him and be like, really, you don't think, what what is your case to say that uh, Libertarian presidential nominee Joe Jorgensen is not sensible? 
Now, do you want to make the can't win argument? I mean, will will are you are you just ignorant? Would you like to be educated? You know, one way or another. Um, I think this is an opportunity for the Libertarian Party. Um, I mean, if I was Joe Jorgensen, I'd reach out to him directly. Uh, but maybe maybe we get a little tweet storm together on this. All right, going back one link. Newsmax has this story. Larry Summers, colon, pandemic will end up costing U.S. $16 trillion. Now, they're trying to put a number on something that really can't be measured in dollars to begin with. But let's see how they try, because there is a big, scary point to be made here already. The COVID-19 pandemic will exact a $16 trillion toll on the U.S., four times the cost of the Great Recession, when adding the costs of lives, loss, and health to the direct economic impact, according to former U.S. Treasury Secretary Lauren Summers and fellow Harvard University economist David Cutler. So they are at least supposedly using some similar metric to the Great Recession, but here they're counting deaths. Now, the thing is, when they counted the Great Recession cost, did they count deaths due to financial hardship? Uh, did, did they cost suicide, count suicides? About half of that amount is related to GDP, gross domestic product, as a result of economic shutdowns and the ongoing spread of the virus, while the other half comes from health losses, including premature death and mental health and long-term health impairments. Quote, the immense financial loss from COVID-19 suggests a fundamental rethinking of government's role in pandemic preparation. Currently, the U.S. prioritizes spending on acute treatment with far less spending on public health services and infrastructure. The $16 trillion amount is equal to about 90% of annual U.S. GDP. You talk about this, you know, I've, I've talked about this as a lost year that we're going to be able to track statistically for decades to come, until the last of the COVID babies. What were, what were we going to call them? Coronitas, uh, or coronitos. Yeah, the uh, children born despite the pandemic. So 90% of annual U.S. GDP. Now, what they're saying here is that half is the sort of non-economic stuff, right? The health losses, including premature death, mental and long-term health impairments. I don't think there's a way that that can really be calculated inclusively, although getting up to the scale of $8 trillion, at least they're in the ballpark, right? you got to give them credit for that, that this does seem like a fair attempt to account for everything that they acknowledge or identify as consequences of this. And this helps us answer the fundamental question, is the cure worse than the disease, right? So this, again, to put this in perspective, $16 trillion is also more than twice as much as the U.S. has spent on war since 9-11, including Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. Policies including wide-scale population testing, contact tracing, and isolation, 
can reduce the spread of infection and prevent some of these losses. Spending on testing and tracing strategies is about 30 times less expensive than the projected economic costs without those policies, the authors said. So this is, again, according to uh, Larry Summers and David Cutler, and they actually wrote this essay and published it uh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So, I mean, like, this is, this is kind of a big deal. This, to me, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic reading a story like this going, you can't just deny the costs anymore. Even if we don't win certain immediate propaganda battles fighting back specific lies about the threat that the virus represents, we are going to be able to have this conversation is the cure worse than the disease? Now, to the authors of this study, they don't seem to be trying to challenge, and I, I suppose this part of the brilliance, I mean, I, I bet behind the scenes, Summers and Cutler are going, well, hopefully this leads to people challenging the main lies about this thing. But let's just focus on this. Let's make this one point. You know, and they're saying that, that, that there should be testing and tracing. And that, that the government should invest in that as a way to deal with another pandemic or, or, or other health crises. And, and as a libertarian, of course, I, I, I could not write those things. I could not in good conscience, conscience say that, you know, the, the, the ideal outcome of this is that the government spends more money on testing and tracing. But also, as a libertarian, I can realistically say that if the government spending is brought radically more in line with what we might have as the uh, as the cost, right? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting distracted by uh, chats in the producers club. But if if people are are now looking at this undeniably that that this is the cost. We, we can ask the question in, in a directly brutal way, is the cure worse than the disease? And, and you know, they, they have to put this here in a, in a bottom line of $16 trillion. But at, at what point do, do we actually acknowledge the bigger truth in the cure being worse than the disease? That more people are going to die from the government response to the virus than the virus itself. Maybe it starts with the economic analysis and pointing out $16 trillion. All right, what's going on here in the producer's chat? Um, (laughs) Okay, so apparently Donnie Jr., Donald Trump Jr., is doing something with, uh, doing, doing something live now and, so, uh, oh, in Nebraska, in Omaha. All right. So, uh, I don't know. There's, uh, yeah, well, this is campaign stuff. No, ignore the, distra- like, it's not even, uh, it's not even a good distraction. Okay, Donnie Jr. is doing a last-minute campaign event. That, that's not news. That's, that's, that's them trying to d- distract you. You shouldn't be paying attention to this. All right, what is, sorry, there's more comments here. 
Well, yeah, Jim wants Jim comments. Watching that will lessen your IQ. Uh, all right. So getting on to a couple more headlines. All right, we're gonna skip. There's there's a whole there's a whole slew of headlines about people getting coronavirus a second time. I'm gonna wait. We're gonna tease that out till tomorrow and really get into it. But uh, NBCNews.com has this headline: 11 year old Louisiana boy steals crashes school bus after chase. Police say. This is cool. The boy taunted officers on his joyride Sunday morning. Baton Rouge police said he was uninjured. Louisiana authorities arrested an 11-year-old boy Sunday after he stole a school bus and then drove away as they tried to stop him. Baton Rouge police spokesperson Lejeune McNeely Jr. told NBC News that the boy drove away from police for 45 minutes on Sunday morning before crashing into a tree. Now, it's, uh, yeah, a great thing. So uh, no one else got hurt, but they got a call. Multiple units followed the bus, and the child allegedly taunted and flipped officers off and struck other vehicles. Uh, yeah. So pretty cool to be 11 years old and be able to get away with something like this in a way that an adult really couldn't. Uh, the driver, so the only injury was that the driver of one of the struck vehicles during the hit and run rampage suffered a minor injury. Uh, police say it was unclear how the 11 year old got the keys. Child is charged with theft of a vehicle, aggravated flight, three counts of damage to property, one count of aggravated assault. Now, while there is something, uh, beautiful and, and righteous about a fun little story like this, but, you know, I, I have to, you know, like think back to what, what, what really drives a kid to do that. Because this is, this is for an 11-year-old kid to drive a bus. You know, it's not, it's not like taking over the school PA system, right, where you can't really hurt anybody except maybe some fields. An 11-year-old driving any vehicle, let alone a school bus, is seriously dangerous. Even if that 11-year-old thinks they know how to drive, they've got to know that they are putting other lives at risk in a significant way. And there is a – I mean, I hate to sound like the parent here, right? I think I did enough laughing, smiling, and celebrating in this story already. Uh, but, you know, the property damage, not going to celebrate that. Uh, as a daring act of rebellion, I suppose we can celebrate that. But uh, if there's if there's any you know deeper story to acknowledge here, it's that uh, this child is a victim of a system that definitely doesn't care about him. Next, we go to zerohedge.com. Food shortage simulation predicts 400% increase in food prices by 2030. Now, this is from Robert Wheeler via the Organic Prepper excuse me, Organic Prepper blog. Recently, I wrote an article discussing the looming food crisis in the U.S. and the rest of the world. While it might seem like paranoia to some readers, the information provided in that article is very real. In fact, I'm not the only one that's been thinking about it. Back in 2015, 65 people showed up at the World Wildlife Fund's headquarters in D.C. They were international policymakers, corporate businessmen, academics, and leaders in thought. Their goal, to run a simulation of a world food crisis it would begin in 2020 and run to 2030. 
The press release of the event was published on the Big Ag Corporation Cargill website and revealed that the food shortage simulation that the decade between 2020 and 2030 would see two major food crises during this time prices would rise 400% of the long-term average. There would be another a number of climate-related weather events. Governments would be toppled in Ukraine and Pakistan, and famine would force refugees from Myanmar, Chad, Sudan, and Bangladesh. Does any of this sound familiar yet? In one in the simulation, one government solution was a tax on meat; another, a global carbon tax. Now, there's none of these simulations take into account. Well, we might be able to. Have a 3D printer that prints food like a microwave out of thin air at home. None of them predict even more basic applications of current technology, like with what we're doing here in Gardenia and so many off-gridders and homesteaders are doing, simply taking charge of their own food production. And, you know, I, I was – my wife's still in California, unfortunately. So I was, I was eating like a bachelor yesterday – Pop-top can of long asparagus spears. And so what do I do? I pop the top, drain the water, pull the top off, and eat it Eat it in chunks with a spoon. <laughs> and I think, you know, if I had to go to, like, it, easiest way to eat vegetables, right? But I was thinking, you know, this came from a factory farm. Uh, there was a huge amount of fossil fuel, corporatism, taxation involved in delivering me these easy-to-consume asparagus spears. But it's really easy. If I had to grow them at home, it would be a lot of work. The thing is, when you make that commitment to growing your own food, and, and I can't say that I've made that leap yet. You know, we, we've done eggs, we've done limited planting here, uh, but we, ha we haven't really taken on the project of, uh, food independence yet. But the longer you go, the, the more the technology improves, the easier and the more accessible it gets. So, you know, I, I would wager that, you know, all of these major food shortage simulations fail to predict not only the shift in technology, but the shift in paradigm and culture of people choosing to take charge of their own food production, of uh, local community farms, gardens. Uh, farmers markets, and and I know that that right now, you know, it, it sounds kind of like a luddite, almost anti-technology or advancement to say, Adam, just get your fucking asparagus in a can from a factory farm, and it costs you a dollar instead of an hour of your time. Why do it that way? Well, eventually, me and, and I think we're starting to cross this line. The time that I would take driving. To and from a grow, oh, I don't know, who knows, maybe the asparagus spears in a can will be delivered by drone pretty soon here, right? But, you know, the, right now, the energy and the time that it takes me to drive to a grocery store and back, and, and I, not only, I, and, and also, I'm getting an inferior product. I mean, you've got to bring that into the equation, right? That the, the, the nutrients of something freshly grown uh, on, on your own land uh, are, are going to be a lot more potent than, than something you get in a can. So, um, all that being said, I think when they talk about these food shortage simulations, you know, hey, a tax on meat or a global carbon tax, that's the result. These are people who are looking at the question honestly. 
They're doing a kind of fear-mongering to get you to support more government power. Shocking, right? Like, you've never heard this before. But in, in the case of these food shortages, I, I think the big deception, I mean, here you want to talk about to the theme of today's show. What is the extreme truth that is being hidden or that is being moderated? And in this case, it, it's the extreme truth of dependence that we have come to for our daily sustenance on centralized corrupt systems based around the U.S. dollar fiat currency system and the Federal Reserve. All right, let's see. Can we skim through a couple more headlines in the last couple minutes now? Um, I don't know. Uh, gloves come off in Barrett confirmation hearing. Someone want, someone in the uh, producers club sent me this article about Judge Amy Coney Barrett. She's got three names. Doesn't that make her a serial killer? Lee Harvey Oswald, not Lee Oswald. I don't know. I get it. There's there's a whole conspiracy shtick about this. But uh, I, I, do I do I care that they're having a big? They're saying pay more attention to the U.S. Senate right now. Pay more attention to the U.S. Supreme Court and the federal government as a whole. Uh, uh, I, uh, I don't want to get too much into the drama. Uh, another quick story from the U.S. Sun: Trump tragedy. Donald Trump, super fan who worshipped six-foot statue of president dies after starving himself and praying for him to beat COVID. Uh, Busa Krishna, who had a six-foot statue of Trump, which he worshipped as a god, died of a suspected heart attack in Telangana, India, on Sunday. Now, as many, now remember, we only have 330-something million Americans. They they have something like, what, a billion Indians? They're going to have that many more crazy people. So, um, yeah, the 35-year-old farmer was filmed crying when he learned that Trump had been taken uh, ill and, and became depressed. So, uh, became known as the Trump Krishna in his village. There, I mean, ugh. He spent sleepless nights, starved, and prayed for the U.S. president's recovery for the past three, four days. He died of cardiac arrest on Sunday around noon. I hope no one goes and makes – I don't know why. Someone shared this in, in the Producers Club chat. I guess they thought I could make some good jokes about it. But I, I – and, and, yeah, I, I don't say – you know, I don't, don't laugh at this. Like, yeah, you want to tell a joke? You want to make fun of this? You know, uh, all right. But – um. I try to avoid just making fun of people for being crazy. This is this is a deranged person. Um, all right, we have uh, Fauci and the Trump campaign at odds. I think we're going to have to to go out go and in, go into that tomorrow. Um, some more a bunch more COVID updates. Uh, again, the thing that the the big I've I've already got four articles about this. This is going to deserve some time tomorrow. Uh, one of them was. COVID struck Nevada man twice, and second time was worse. Maybe we can get uh, Mercedes, who's, who's had a, a related experience with her own experience with COVID, to, to join us and, and to uh, to tell us about that. Um, so, you know, a lot, uh, let's see, what else? Um, America's true unemployment rate, a lot higher. We've got, yeah, 
I guess I guess there's just too much too much to, to, to skim through, unfortunately, today. But I think it was worth it. I think we had a great show. I think it was really fun talking about family law with Chris Cole, James Toller, great guest, exciting candidate to support. And, you know, the, the core understanding uh, that, that I hope you got from today's show about uh, extreme truths being moderated, that that is enough. Not only to constitute a lie, but to seriously underpin the racket of the current authority structure. All right, quick fun, quick one from the U.S. Sun, little technology update. The iPhone 12 new release to feature a 30x zoom spy camera that can snap clear pics of objects miles away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. So, I mean, right now, this is, and this is actually a digital zoom, which means, uh, and, and it can focus on subjects three times further away than any iPhone camera before it. It's just kind of fun. When you went, I mean, there was a point at which smartphones got so awesome. Uh, I was like, there's no way. What, what are, I mean, what are they going to do to make this thing better? Like, have it print money for you? Uh, another little uh, quirk of COVID we'll mention from uh, France 24. Stir crazy passengers, gobble up tickets. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, it's a really bad pun of a headline. Stir crazy passengers, gobble up tickets to dine on parked Singapore jets. Yeah. Remember we brought you the story a couple weeks ago that the thing with airlines now was – airline trips to nowhere that people wanted to go on tourism flights of just flying around and coming back to the same location well now it's even more pathetic than that people are so desperate or whatever i i mean i don't know if it's desperation it's just a weird thing but um tarmac meals have become an unlikely hit for coronas coronavirus battered coronas Singapore Airlines, with hundreds of passengers paying the equivalent of a budget ticket just to dine inside grounded A380 jumbos. Yeah, they're paying as much as a flight just to go sit on a plane and eat for a hefty sum of SG642, that's whatever Singapore currency is, 470 U.S. dollars equivalent people with a hankering for airline food can have a meal on an A380, the world's biggest passenger debt. Now, hopefully, they're doing more fun with this like they are with, uh, you know, Hawaii-themed airline flights to nowhere. But, yeah, just uh, another quirk. Uh, follow-up story. We're going to have to get into this tomorrow. Um, as co- From Wall Street Journal, as COVID cases surge, more public health experts say lockdowns aren't the, aren't the answer. Well, we'll see who gets censored like us for saying this. Um, we got the divorce cases story. And, uh, of course, we'll hit the good news today. But let's wrap things up with Jim Freedom comments and some promos. We're seven minutes over time. Let's see if we can wrap this up the next three. Uh, I'll be real quick with the comments. One thing James Toller, our guest, uh, mentioned, Brad Barron for U.S. Senate. Let's take down Mitch McConnell, he says. Brad is a libertarian that can take out the most powerful man in the Senate. 
Yes, thank you for that reminder, James. Where I, I we we should uh, do we, what's the status with that? When I think the debate uh, hasn't happened yet, but we should be covering that and uh, be getting ready to have Baron on for another interview. Uh, Jim, if you could make a note of that or send it to the core team group and make sure uh, Marcus knows we don't let that one go. We make sure that we get a follow up both on uh, on Baron's campaign and the debate. Uh, let's hit some promos and then hear some good news. All right. Well, don't forget to go to Cigar Federation. Then you can join us for Cigars and Sunsets every Friday evening. It looks like we're doing 5.30 now to time it with the sunset. Uh, used to be 6 o'clock. But if you go to CigarFactory.com, really cool website, by the way. Tons of options, lots of things you can do. My favorite there, because I'm spoiled by my friend who gave me these really nice Really, really nice CBD-infused cigars. And if you want to talk about one of the ultimate relaxing experiences, you'll get to share that with me every Friday from the Lanai, watching the sunset, doing a little live stream. This Friday, actually, we've got Peter Yapel joining us, so that'll be extra fun. And uh, you can use promo code ADAM10, all caps, to get 10% off your order. So please do that. Help support my habit. And, uh, and and support the show by supporting our affiliates. Of course, if you want to support it directly, as CJ put together such a brilliant store with mugs like this at adamversustheman.com, you can get your merch today. Cool thing about this for me, not just this uh, the, my cool bucket hat with my own logo. I feel like I've always wanted one of these and didn't know it. Um I don't know if this is ever going to be anything other than a studio hat, though. Uh, I, 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 it's like I, I don't want to get it dirty. But we have, we also have on on merchandise the Garden of Freedom. Look at this, Jim or CJ. Get this, the Garden of Freedom logo. We got the geodesic sunflower sunrise on on merchandise. And the other side of this, the uh, greetings from Gardenia postcard graphics. So much cool stuff. And the studio should be here this week, keeping my fingers crossed any day. So you're going to see a beanbag chair in there. You're going to get to see us deck this out and have a lot of fun making our own dedicated studio office space for Adam versus the man. Thank you to everybody who's made that possible, especially our patrons who just automatically give us a little bit of money every month. And again, thank you to Liberty for being our latest $50 patron, but $10 is really where it's at. You go patreon.com slash man, or just go to anniversestheman.com. You can find it all through there. You can give us uh, $1, $5, $10, $50 a month. You can give us whatever you want, unwanted children, gold-plated babies, whatever it is that you're trying to get rid of, uh, you know, body parts. If you're trying to hide evidence, just send them to us. That was an unnecessarily morbid example, wasn't it? Let's stick with the gold-plated babies and unwanted children. <laughs> All right. But really, anything that you can do to support the show, and again, with today's uh, today's theme of extreme truths that cannot be moderated without lying, our ability to get this message out when so much of the intent of the mainstream propaganda is to get you to accept these extremely dangerous, destructive, evil elements of, of, of the world around us today. It's not of the world. It's of 
of human rackets around government. I mean, yeah, there, there, there's some rackets that also do this that, that, that technically might not might might only be sponsored by government as opposed to government itself in, in, in the corporate realm. I don't don't think I'm trying to deny that. But to point out that our position as libertarians is extremely moderate. And that it is the reality that we are challenging that is what is extreme and to acknowledge that the acceptance of militarism is extreme. The acceptance of this level of government control over your body is extreme. The amount of power that we allow to be concentrated in the hands of the few is extreme. And these are the big, dangerous extremes that they don't want to let us acknowledge or face up to. Because to do so would inevitably motivate action to end those rackets. And that's what we're about here on Adam vs. the Man. So thanks for watching. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. As always, wrapping up the show with the good news from goodnewsnetwork.org, good news in history for today. October 13. It was 10 years ago today. You might remember this one. 33 Chilean miners trapped deep underground for a record 69 days made the 17-minute journey to the service one by one after surviving the best they could until the international team of rescuers were able to drill a passage and provide an escape pod. On this day in 1792, the cornerstone of the White House was laid during a ceremony in the new capital of the United States. Washington, D.C., 1792. Now, is that is that good news? Government got a building by which, I, I mean, it's architecturally, it's a, it's a pretty building. It's It looks cool. It carries the authority of government. But no, I'm, I'm going to have to give this a minus two or three points on the uh, good news scale. 1983, Ameritech Mobile Communications on this day. Now, AT&T launched the first U.S. cellular network in Chicago, Illinois. That is hugely good news, plus 10 for sure. On this day in 2000, South Korean President Kim Dae-jung was named winner of the Nobel Peace Prize for his work bringing peace and reconciliation with North Korea. Definitely good news. On this day in 2009, one, every one of the 362,000 elementary school students in Uruguay and 18,000 teachers became part of the One Laptop Per Child project, receiving a $100 laptop from the organization set up by Nicolas Negroponte. That was 2009. You know, that's that definitely great news. You know, I'm, I'm going to look this up, One Laptop Per Child project, because I, you know, I remember reading about this when it happened, and... uh not not seeing any follow-up. Did it? Did they actually, do they work? Did they get out? Did they have a positive impact? I mean, even just as a, as a failed experiment, this would be hugely good news. But uh, apparently it worked. So maybe we'll bring you a story follow-up about that tomorrow. And on this day in 2016, Bob Dylan, at 75 years old, was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature for having created new poetic expressions with a great, Amer within the great American song tradition. And that's it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Mwah, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.